What do you think of when you hear the word victory? What comes to your mind? Jesus, now there's a great answer. <laughs> okay, what else? Winning, okay, all right. In our culture today, I mean, for us as the church, when you think of victory, I'm glad that Jesus would come. Hopefully, he would come to our mind right away. But in our culture today, what is the context usually uh, when it comes to this idea of victory? Sports, yeah, sports. Now, it, it might be something like the lottery. I heard somebody just won the, the big lottery thing. Of course, you gotta play to win. I don't play. But uh, at any rate, um, there's all kinds of different things. But mostly we think of, of sports. And you think about that, what happens when there's a sporting event and, and your team wins? You get all excited, right? And you start yelling and you jump up and down and, and you know, the roof comes off. I remember some years back uh, watching uh, what was then uh, NCU, as uh, now Bushnell University, playing a game, and it was it was the last game of their season, and it came down, and it was a close game, and with time running out, one of our guys got the ball beyond half court, turned around and fired at half court, and it went in. The buzzer sounded while it was in the air; it banked and went in. The place erupted. It was so loud, it, it was, it, you know, you ever get in those places where the noise is so loud, you can almost hear a buzzing in your ear? It, it was that kind of thing. And everybody's jumping, we were screaming and everything. In fact, uh, uh, the coach uh, who uh, I used to have, as, he was assistant coach when I was playing, Coach Lip, um, you know, he was one of these guys, he never really got real excited or jumping, but he actually came off the ground. We could see daylight under his feet, you know, and his, went in the air, and it was like, yes, and the place was screaming. It was such a celebration. But another thing that sometimes happens, and not so much in our culture, I see it more in, in, in other cultures, in, in Europe and other places, a lot of times they'll reach the end of a game, and especially if their team wins, they'll, be able, they'll start singing a song, and you'll see people in different parts, they'll start singing this song, and they all join hands, and they're singing this song together. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking, you know, um, I've been part of teams that, that have done that. In fact, um, back in the day when I was in high school, after every game, and, and, and whether we won or lost, but after every game, we would sing our alma mater, okay? And uh, uh, I remember that on days when we won, we sang it with a little more enthusiasm. Uh, but I went to Dallas High School, and so we would sing the How many of you remember your school alma mater? Yay, woot, woot, Dallas High. How many remember your, your school alma mater? Yeah, we used to sing it together. And I, you know, it was, you know, the words were so inspiring. It was, uh, oh, alma mater. And by the way, alma mater in Latin means nourishing mother, okay? In case you're wondering where that came from. So our school is our nourishing mother. Oh, alma mater, Dallas High, to thee we raise our song. Thy guiding light in all we do and thy foundation strong. The ties that bind our whole lives through and bring fond memories back. Endear to us our colors true, the orange and the black. Yeah. All right, yeah. I know, go Beavs. See, see, even though I'm a duck, you know I've got that orange and black buried in there somewhere. So just so you know, it's there. 
You know, at, at, at NCC, when I was in college, we did the same thing. All hail to thee, dear NCC. Hail alma mater, brave and free. We pledge our best our all to thee of youth and loyalty. The blue and gold float proudly o'er best college on Pacific shore. Each year we love thee more and more. Hail, dear old NCC. It actually had more verses that, that were a little more godly as we went along. But, but still in all, we would sing this, and we would sing it with gusto, especially uh, when we won. And I, I was thinking about that this weekend. And recently, I was with another team. And, and when we reached the point of victory, we also sang a song together. Uh, we were gathered together in a house uh, that we had just built for a family. And as we were there, and, and we were sharing, and scripture was read, and prayer, and that sort of thing, then we all sang together. And we sang a song, we are walking in the light of God. We are walking in the light of God. And we sang that through, and there's, there's not a lot of lyrics to it, but we sang it in English. And then we sang it in Spanish. And, and the Spanish-speaking Mexican family that was there, I always like to look at them, and as we start to sing in Spanish, you can kind of see their eyes light up a little bit, and they say, oh, okay, here's what they're singing. But it was in praise of God. You know, we're not here building this house uh, you know, just because we can accomplish something and say, oh, we set the record for, for you know, pouring a slab or, or getting the walls up or whatever it might be or, or, or some great accomplishment on our part. No, what happened was we went down there as God's servants and we watched as he overcame obstacles to help us get where we needed to be. As he gave us the strength and as we worked together uh, with him in mind, being his servants, uh, to build this house, and in the end, the victory was one that we wanted to give credit to him. And even the family, uh, as they shared with us, gave credit to God uh, for what had happened. It was, it was a victory. It was God's victory. We were but his tools uh, as he shared with us. We're in this series, Summer of Psalms. And remember, I remind you, a psalm it is a song. The Psalms in the Bible are the songbook of the Bible. And we don't have the music anymore, but we, we have the lyrics. And so today we have come to Psalm 98. It's, it's not associated with any particular author. It's not associated with any particular event. It, it, you know, some of the Psalms don't have titles. Others have titles with instructions and things. This one just merely, it has a title. It just says a psalm or a song. And so as we look at this psalm, we think, okay, what is this? Is it just a general psalm? It seems to be a victory psalm. It seems to be a song that, that was sung uh, when something momentous had happened, even though the author doesn't tell us what it is that we're singing praise about, but he does tell us who we are to be directed toward. And so I want us to take a look at this psalm today and I want us to see what God would have to say to us out of this psalm. Uh, and it's, it's a short nine verses. It's divided into three verses apiece of three different stanzas. And so in music, you have different stanzas or different verses. And so as we walk through this together, I want us to think about um, our own uh, praise of God and see what the author of this song is trying to tell us. So starting with stanza one, uh, the psalmist says, all God's people should praise him. All God, are you God's people? We should praise him. That's what he's telling us. In this case, as he talks about all God's people, he means the Israelites. 
That's the context in which the psalm was written. As they would think about it, they'd say, who's God's people? We are. We're the Israelites. For us, it would be, who's God's people? We are, the church. Okay? And so let's read these first three verses. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, I always put up my left, I'm left-handed. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So the psalmist exhorts us. He says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He doesn't say, hey, let's sing an oldie but a goodie, okay? He says, we need to sing a new song. You know, uh, when we went through Psalm 78 earlier, Asaph exhorted us to remember things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. Sometimes there's real comfort in doing what we know. Sometimes there's comfort in looking back and seeing how God time and again has worked, and that's important. We don't neglect that. But sometimes we need to sing a new song. Sometimes we need to be cognizant of what God is doing right now, of the victory he's just given now. And that should spur us then, maybe, to sing a new song to praise him in a new way, to go beyond maybe what we've done before. As I thought about this this week, I thought the psalmist certainly would have had some examples from his past of people who in the midst of victory uh, sang a new song. I was thinking of when Moses brought, uh, actually God brought through Moses, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember they're in slavery there for 400 years. He brings them out with all these great, wonders that he performs, uh, and not the least of which then is that he has them cross the Red Sea on dry land. He parts the waters and they cross the Red Sea. And it wasn't just as simple as that as they came in, oh, here's the Red Sea, let's go. But rather they were up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming and they were breathing down their necks and at any second they were gonna break through and kill all of the Israelites and God causes this pillar of fire to come down between the Egyptian army and the Israelites so that the Egyptians can't stay there and that pillar of fire stays there all night while a wind blows and the waters are backed up and it dries the ground and the Israelites then walk across on dry land. And of course they get to the other side and the pillar of fire then leaves and the Egyptian army thinking, well, we're just gonna go after him. So they go down into the sea on this trail and it just at that point, God causes the waters to cover them over and they're all drowned. And standing on the other side then, we have the Israelites as they turn and look and Moses and his sister Miriam, they write a new song, each of them. And they exhort the people to sing a new song of praise to the Lord. And so we have Moses' song there, which is very long. Uh, Miriam wrote a chorus. So see, there's places for longer songs and there's places for choruses. So Miriam, she writes this chorus. And, and since Moses is longer, I'm gonna pick up Miriam's. Uh, and this is what we read in, in Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, you know, they don't, she's Moses' sister too. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses were siblings. Uh, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. So Madison has to get out uh, her timbrel, uh, 
and all you ladies are gonna get up and you're gonna start going around the room and we're gonna sing this chorus, right? No, okay, maybe, maybe another day, okay, we'll have to work on it. But anyway, so they go around with timbrels and dancing and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Catchy little chorus, huh? Yeah, so they sang this new song in praise of God for this victory. I was thinking then a little further in history in Judges 5, after God had given the Israelites this great victory over the Canaanites who had been oppressing them, uh, the judge at that time, uh, who was the person who was, who was the go-between between God and them, uh, was a gal named Deborah. And, and Israel's generals named Barak, and he sang a new song. And she sang with him. Together they, they had this new song. What had happened was the Canaanites had been oppressing them for years. And they cried out to the Lord. And God raised up Deborah to lead them and told her, now I want you to assemble all the armies of Israel under the general, uh, under Barak, and, and have them go and fight in this one particular place. And uh, Barak is thinking, this is not a good idea. I mean, the, the Canaanites have chariots. Uh, they have swords and shields and, and spears made of iron. We don't even have iron. All we have is bronze. They're gonna wipe us out. And, she, and Deborah says, no. God says, go, he's gonna be with you. And he goes, okay, well then you're coming with me too. He says, I'm not gonna go unless you stand behind the prophecy. And so Deborah goes and you can read the rest of the story uh, about what happens with uh, the Canaanite general Sisera and, and jail and all that, that sort of thing. Jail, by the way, is the name of a gal, not that he went to jail. Uh, at any rate, uh, what happens though is that God causes uh, this great victory. He's, it's, it's in his hands. Uh, the place he chooses for the battle, the Canaanites have to come up this wadi. In fact, it's the easiest way for them to get to the Israelites to wipe them out. And, and, and when you think chariots in a fight, in those days, it, was, it would be like a tank. It would be like, you know, walking soldiers coming up against a tank. So these, these chariots are coming down this wadi. A wadi is a dried up creek or riverbed, okay? And God caused this great rainstorm to hit. And this flash flood comes down the wadi and it wipes out most of the chariots. And those that don't get wiped out get stuck in the mud and the Israelites then go and clean up the mess. And so they have a great victory uh, over the Canaanites uh, that day. And there's, they, they write this new song. And Barak and Deborah have the people sing this new song. Uh, and it's a longer song, so I'm not gonna have a, a look at the whole thing. But I just want you to see the ending. Judges 5.31, the end of the song goes, so may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then we read that the land had peace for 40 years. Even hundreds of years after Psalm 98, we have an example of a new song, a victory of a sort. Um, what we find is, is Mary in Luke 1. And she's been told she's going to have the savior of the world, that God is going to work his victory of salvation uh, through her offspring. And, and so she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who she's been told uh, is already six months pregnant, and, and as she comes, Elizabeth speaks this word over her, and she suddenly realizes, Mary, uh, Mary does, that this is all true. This is really happening. And so she breaks out 
into this song, and we have it in Luke 1, where she says in the first couple of verses, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. In all of these situations, these people sing a new song in praise of the God who brought victory. And so the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. God is always working in every age, doing marvelous things for his people. Has he done marvelous things for you? Have you even noticed? You know, I know in my life, you know, unless it's something that's so extreme that it actually you know, knocks me down and catches my attention. Sometimes I don't pay much attention to some of the marvelous things God's doing all the time around me. And even if I do notice them sometimes, it doesn't really cause me to stop and to praise the Lord, to sing him a new song. Yeah, it's great to praise the Lord for things he's done in the past, but God is working today, now, do we praise him for that? And then the psalmist tells us that these marvelous things are done by his great power. None can match him. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We serve an all-powerful God. Do we believe that? You know, sometimes I think we, we think that we serve a weak God. We think that, that, oh, God, you know, I need this to happen, and, and you haven't made it happen. What's wrong? Are you a weak God? Do you care? Can you even do it? We're lucky we're not struck with lightning every time we start thinking that direction. Because he has shown himself time and again to be an all-powerful God, and we know he created everything that is. This is the God that, that caused the sun to stand still in the midst of battle. This is the God who did all, you know, incredible enough that, that he sent his son, his son, that he became one of us to save us. And if that weren't enough, you know, all the miracles we think of that, that Jesus, is there anything our God cannot do? And the answer is no. Now, just because he doesn't do what we want him to do, or we think in our, our small wisdom he should be doing doesn't mean that he is any less powerful. And so we praise him because he is the all-powerful God. We praise him because he has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, the psalmist says. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, remember they wouldn't go into the promised land at first, and instead, they, they wound up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. When they finally went under jo in under Joshua and they came up against these cities, we're told that fear had gripped the cities because of the wonders they had heard God had per performed in Egypt. Word about the Israelites had gone ahead of them into that place such that people heard it and marveled and trembled even in fear. We're told that when God gave Deborah and Barak the victory over the Canaanites, they had peace for 40 years. Why? Because everyone around them heard what God had done and were afraid to attack them. 
Mary gives birth to Jesus and he conquers sin and death by going to the cross and rising from the dead. That message then has spread around the world and is still spreading today. The marvelous things, the victories of God, his power and his love all go forward even today and are known to the nations. And it brings us up again against this thing. So, so here are these people, all of us, a rebellious people. Children of Israel were rebellious. Uh, the people at the time of Judges were rebellious. Even Mary, as, as God shares us with her, why is it that we need salvation? Why did he have to send Jesus? Because we're rebellious. Because we disobey. Because we're sinful. Because we don't do what we need to do what he's called us to do. We aren't what he created us to be. And so why? Why does he do these things? Why does he do marvelous deeds for us? Why does he continue to do these things? The writer says he's remembered, he has remembered his love and faithfulness to his people. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. It's because of love. It's because God is faithful in his loving promise. All the way along through history, that's been true. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them, on the day you eat this fruit, you will surely what? Die. They ate the fruit. Did they die that day? In a way. I mean, death entered in. There were some things that were broken on every level. But they didn't just drop, boom, and life was gone. They returned to dust that day. Now, God kicked them out of the garden, but then we we're told that God clothed them. He's still caring for them. He still communicated with them. He still wanted to be in a relationship with them. And of course, some time goes by and, and everybody becomes wicked and God becomes uh, tired of seeing the wickedness of mankind. And so he decides to wipe them out with a flood. But then we have that one sentence that says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God's mercy is greater than God's wrath. And he starts again with Noah and his family. And so we see through time, you know, uh, the Israelites, you know, uh, before them, Mo, uh, Abraham. You know, he makes his promises to Abraham. He says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Uh, I'm gonna, the whole world's gonna be blessed through you, talking about his, 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 him being in the line, his ancestors, the coming of Jesus. And yet Abraham, still messed up. Abraham still had problems where, where he didn't trust in God. And we could go th forward through history and see time after time after time, God's people that has happened, and it's true even today with us. Time after time, we don't do what God has called us to do, and yet his mercy is greater than his wrath. And yet his salvation still holds true, and yet he loves us so much that he wants to save us. And so we have this passage, this verse in the Bible uh, from Jesus that is probably the most quoted and, and memorized and known verse in, in the pages of scripture. John 3, 16, and I'd add 17. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
This is the loving faithfulness of God that he has for his people. This is what motivates our God to bring us salvation, and we should sing about it. We should continue to make new songs to sing about it. All God's people should praise the Lord, which brings us to stanza two. Stanza two, the psalmist says, all the people on earth should praise the Lord. Not just God's people in a particular place, but all people on earth, if they really understood, if they knew, should praise the Lord. Since the knowledge of God's salvation has gone out into the ends of the earth, the psalmist acknowledges that there's only one fitting response, that all people should praise him. So this is what he writes in stanza two. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst, think of these words. You know, when you think of the word burst, burst into jubilant song. You just break out and start singing. You've ever done that? Have you ever been driving in your car and all of a sudden you start singing a praise song? I hope you have, you know? You're walking along and you think, oh, God is so good. You know, we don't, we don't sing enough in our culture. We, we've kind of, we've kind of, um, I don't know, just not destroyed, but we've certainly bent that in terms of, of thinking that we always got to sound so perfect or, you know, be a solo voice or do whatever that, that we don't want anybody to hear us. Oh, you know, I don't, I don't, we like it when it's really loud sometimes so that no one will hear us sing. That's not the kind of thing that the psalmist is talking about here. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. We're gonna have to get Jordan a ram's horn so that we can blow it in the middle of some of our music. But the psalmist is calling for the earth not just to sing, but to shout for joy. We're talking about making noise. And again, when I think about this, my mind goes back to the only place I see that happening in our culture is at ball games. You know, where we stand up and cheer, you score a goal, yes! You know, and everybody's, you're yelling at the top of your lungs and everything, and you know, those sorts of things. Why, why do we hold back so much when it comes to our singing and our praise of God? We become timid in it. Uh, it's not... We should be overwhelmed by uh, uh, his, his love for us, what he accomplishes. I, I was thinking of this this week, and, and I thought of a, an example in Scripture. Uh, Ezra and the Jews returning from captivity in Babylon, and they begin to rebuild the temple. And we read this in, in Ezra 3, 10 through 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of As, sons of Asaph, these are... You know, we, remember we, we did the Psalm of Asaph. These are his descendants who are still musicians with cymbals. And I'm not talking these things that, I'm talking crashing cymbals. That's what, you know, with cymbals. And they took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It was a victory. And two verses later we read, and the sound was heard from far away. People outside the city are hearing them singing, shouting, 
the instruments is so loud, and they go, what is going on over there? They didn't hold back. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when our, our music, our, our singing and worship of the Lord needs to be more contemplative, you know, quieter sort of a thing. But there are also times when you need to make as much noise as we can in praise of God. And it doesn't matter if we have beautiful voices. It's just a matter of jubilant, joyful song. And it's not just voices, it's instruments. The psalmist mentions harps and trumpets, even the ram's horn. The ram's horn was reserved for announcing the coming of the king. And so the psalmist names God as our Lord and King. And so he says, blast the ram's horn, he says. We need to appreciate the instrumentalists who worship God with the beauty of of their instruments. Our God is so great that he draws praise from all people all over the earth on all kinds of instruments in all kinds of ways as they make. Can you imagine if the whole earth in one instance decided to praise God, every last person. It'd be like Horton, here's a who. You know, that it'd be heard beyond anything we could imagine. Stanza three. All creation should praise the Lord. Now the psalmist takes the next step. It's not just God's people who praise him. It's not just people all around the earth. It's creation itself. So we read in verses seven through nine, let the sea resound. There's a great word, crashing sea. Can you hear that? You know, that, that resounding sound. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands. You ever seen a river clap its hands? Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalmist now calls upon all creation to praise the Lord. The oceans and everything in them, all living things on the planet, the rivers clap their hands, the mountains sing with joy. And before we relegate this to some kind of poetic personification, you know, that, that okay, yeah, that sort of thing, there's something real to what he's talking about here in terms of creation itself. I don't know that I can explain it fully, but, but even Paul taps into this in Romans 8. Uh, This is what he writes uh, when he talks about our present sufferings and he's looking forward to that day uh, when we'll stand in Jesus' presence. When when Christ comes again, that day when all things are made new. And so this is what he writes. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when we finally are in our eternal home. For the creation... He says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting to see who are gonna be the followers of God. When God comes in his glory and in his judgment, who is it that will actually be saved? Who will be revealed as followers of Jesus? For the creation was subjected to frustration. It was broken not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, meaning God, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And creation looks to that day and even now 
the creation sings his praises because they know, creation knows what's coming. Knows it's coming and waits in anticipation. So God's salvation reaches the very depths and heights of creation itself. And why? Because God is coming to judge the earth and he will judge in righteousness and equity. So just as Paul says in Romans, creation's restoration awaits the final fruition of God's judgment at the second coming and the advent of the new heaven and the new earth. No more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. Now that's worth praising God for, isn't it? So creation waits. I, I, I think of, uh, as I was doing that, I think of C.S. Lewis and how he, what he envisions in his fantasy book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that story, you have the, the wicked ice queen of the north, and, and she has subjected the, the land of Narnia to an eternal winter. Everything ice, everything covered in snow, spring never coming, never any flowers, never any of the beauty of that spring and summertime that would come until Aslan, the great lion, who is, who is basically Jesus in the story, uh, comes and dies and rises again and the curse is broken and suddenly flowers begin to pop through and creation itself is made new and responds. It's a vision of what is to come that through Jesus, through Jesus, all things will be made new and that should cause us to praise him, to shout for joy. So sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things and he continues to do marvelous things. Praise him for the salvation he has brought us through his son Jesus. Sing with gusto to the accompaniment of musical instruments. Join with people all around the world in praise of our God. Join with the creation itself that sings his praises and awaits the final culmination of his judgment, salvation, and restoration. Let's praise God for his unfailing love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our God, you are a great and awesome God, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. You are the God of mercy, Lord, a mercy that is so great that it motivated you, Father, out of your love to bring us salvation through Jesus. And Lord, we would praise you. Praise you in the quiet times, praise you in the small things, but Lord, we would shout aloud our praise of you too in the great victories that you bestow upon us and the marvels that you accomplish. So I pray, Lord, that as we sing and as we praise you, we would not be shy, we would not hold back, but we would acknowledge you before all the world. You are our God and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.